Welcome now, the professors of pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Professors of Pop. I'm Stephanie Lachlan, and with my co-host, Jerry Gabriel, today we'll be talking all about mise-en-scene in cinema. Unfortunately, we were going to have a guest today, but she couldn't come at last minute, so it's just going to be me and Jerry, but we still have a lot of fun things to talk about, so without further ado, class is in session. It's a romance, but it's not about love. It's a comedy, but not everyone's laughing. It's a place where the one thing you can expect is the unexpected. Women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. A story about women who love men. Todos estos años te he esperado. Dime que te hubieras muerto si no vuelvo. Estaría muerta si no hubieras vuelto. Women who love to get even. And men who try to get away. Iván, ¿quién esperabas que llamara? Iván, me ha llamado otra vez Iván. No. Ay, olvídalo ya, chica. Quiere decirme quién es ese Iván. Eres un débil, Iván. From internationally acclaimed filmmaker Pedro Almodovar comes a deliriously deranged comedy that follows no rules, spares no victims, takes no prisoners. Women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. When you think about mise-en-scene, a lot of people get confused. They say, what the fuck is that? Mise-en-scene, translated from French, literally means setting the stage. It originally was termed, obviously, for theater, but it absolutely applies to cinema as well. When you're thinking about mise-en-scene, you just think about how the image is constructed in a frame. And that means how the lighting, the camera composition, the props, the actors, how it all comes together to create a real visual style. Film critics will give a filmmaker the, you know, term auteur, I feel like, when they really create a very distinct visual style. The kind when when you go to the theater and you see a trailer for a movie, you immediately know who created that movie. Like, oh, that's a Christopher Nolan movie. That's a Wes Anderson movie, you know? Wes Anderson is probably, in terms of filmmakers working today, the most obvious person you would go to for mise-en-scene because he has such a distinct style. But I also want to talk to you today about one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, the Spanish auteur Pedro Almodovar. 
who has a new movie coming out with uh, Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hunt, uh, Ethan Hawke, where they play gay cowboys. So when you're thinking about the key aspects of mise-en-scene, you think about set design, lighting, shot composition, hair and makeup, the aspect ratio, all these things come together to create a filmmaker's visual style. So if I have to kind of just, you know, what is it when you think about Wes Anderson, for instance? For me, it's deadpan dialogue, steady cam shots, vintage pop music soundtrack, and hipster costumes. What about you, Jerry? Like that's when you when you try to sum up his visual yeah. style, that's what I think of. Yeah, I think definitely his visual style has got like past, very pastel. Um, pastel, that would be another that, word, yeah. One thing he does is very like almost like he feels like you're, well, recently I find he almost feels like you're in a play. It's like a very like cut out and very like, and you can't tell if it's like a play or real. It's kind of interesting. Like Asteroid City, yeah. Asteroid City especially did that. And I we, thought it was cool. Jerry and I saw that. And uh, Grand this Budapest definitely yeah. does that with the background paintings of like places. And, um, and I think like that's definitely part of his style. And that's one of his things that he does utilize in mise-en-scene really, really well. And another thing he does that really well in mise-en-scene is blocking and framing. Yes. And like, I don't know, like, especially these long, he does these like long, uh, very long takes that, Steady like cam steady shots, cam shots yeah. that are really cool, and they really show you a whole world and depth. Like he does this in Grand Budapest when they're walking down the hallway, and there's all these people. Like in a Wes them. Anderson movie, you never um, have a handheld camera shot that's no. loose and free. All yeah. of Wes Anderson shots are very controlled, very yeah. static, and almost. But for Wes Anderson, as opposed to other things, it does almost like they're. There isn't a deeper meaning. It's almost all for style. I definitely... And it's kind of interesting. Like, I found in the last movie, he's like, no, there's all these really deeper meanings in my movies. But when people watch his movies, I find there's, like, like people just, like, enjoy the style but don't talk about the undertone of the style. And for it's really sure. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, you and I saw Asteroid City this, right. this summer like, together. Like, in Grand Budapest, I know it's, like, people who are, like freer more colorful and the people are more fascist you know like the fascists are grayer and darker colors and stuff and he was using those colors like interesting good like dichotomy yes i also um i also really like in wes anderson movies the element of fantasy towards it like it is based in reality but also you know, uh, in the Grand Budapest Hotel, you notice there, there you don't see the swastikas. It was like a yeah. Zed thing. I thought the moon was it the Moonlight Kingdom or was it the name of that movie Moonlight Kingdom? Yes. Uh, I felt like it was a fantasy. The whole oh, movie. for sure, and that then was he... just a fantasy of like Boy Scout land, the land <laughs> of Boy Scouts. And then uh, even in the Royal Tenenbaums, there's yeah. like that sketchy cab company that yeah or. You know, there was a scene where they're walking um, and the Gene Hackman character or one of the characters is covering up the Statue of Liberty right where it is. Yeah. And Wes Anderson remembers uh, in the commentary, he was saying how Gene Hackman got really mad at him in that scene. He's like, why aren't you showing the Statue of Liberty? That's ridiculous. And uh, he replied with, well, this isn't really New York. This is my version of New York. Yeah, that's a good, good good subtext definitely and 
that's what I mean by I like filmmakers who induce an element of this is a clearly a world I'm creating. Right. Um, because, you know, when you watch a film, you know it's not real. It's just like a novel. You want to yeah. take a journey into a different world. My, my director that I chose, uh, Stanley Kubrick, kind of does that too. In oh, probably, absolutely. In almost a mythological way. <laughs> absolutely, Stanley <laughs> Kubrick does that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, one thing that he that he does that's great is also the framing and the blocking and he's a master of it. And his, that's why his mise on stand is so amazing. Uh, this is a great scene where, uh, um, the little boy in, uh, the shinings. Oh my God. That movie. Yeah. He's playing on that. That's my favorite. That's my favorite Stanley Cooper. It's great, movie but he's playing sure. on the carpet yeah. and he has all these toys in front of him. And then all of a sudden like this ball just like comes out of nowhere. Out Did of you shots. see Dr. Sleep actually? It was pretty good. Oh, great movie. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I love Dr. Sleep. But the shining, yeah. Um, Doctor Sleep was very surprisingly good. Yeah, like, it's so it's so and, rare when they and, do those sequels thirty years later that they're actually good. But it was good. There's almost like a Stephen King world building on Shining, on The Shining itself. It's kind of cool. Anyways, but yes, the Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining is one of my favorite horror yeah. movies of all time for sure well, when you read the subtext of the movie there's all these sub things you can read there's a whole bunch of people that believe there's no there's no ghosts at all in the hotel and it's all psychological horror because if you look at every shot hmm. the subtext of of uh the uh, danny's uh torment is that he's being sexually or abused by his father and there's like one of the subtexts in the because it's remember the mother's always talking about how he hit Danny or how Danny went to the hospital and stuff. stuff. I always thought it was just he beat him up. No, it could be even more than that. Oof. Yeah. Anyways. Well, no. I mean, he the character is the con, the character is a monster. Now it's hard to say yeah. that because the doctor's sleep. But don't forget, Kubrick's like yeah. But you, that's why Stephen King didn't like his version. Oh. Because okay. Kubrick was kind of making it his own, and I think what Kubrick wanted to do was. Like make the ghost kind of like secondary to like the psychological stuff, you know. Well, he succeeded on. because that movie yeah. it just gets to you. How it totally does because you have like this very like, the... like playful scene of Danny just playing by himself, like just completely turned upside down by like random ball entering the shot. It's one of those movies where it's very, you know, there's parts that are very slow and very whatever, but then it just builds and builds. And it just gets creepier and creepier. And it's very labyrinth-like. It's like yeah, exactly. turning yes. corners. And, and then, bam, places. the guy who's coming to save them gets murdered. You know? Yeah. Like, things like that. And they like end up in a labyrinth. And there's a top <laughs> labyrinth <laughs> yes. shot. <laughs> yeah. So the mise-en-scene is very elaborate in that movie. It's kind of crazy impressive. I mean, it's all in all his For Kubrick. For Kubrick, yeah. for sure, I admire most the shot composition. Right. I remember in film school, Kubrick, well, we Kubrick studied. was like, "I want to, He's like, "I'm an artist, and I'm yeah. going to make arts like on film." And I I doing. I studied him in film school, and he definitely helped revolutionize the um, the steady cam shot. Like right. that whole scene where Danny is riding his tricycle around—that's all one take. That's a long time, so they had to figure out how are we going to get the cinema you know how are we gonna get the film camera operator to hold the camera for that long and so that was definitely one of the films that helped revolutionize cinematography yes absolutely and uh i mean i love that movie it's one of my favorite movies what other kubrick movies 
Oh, I mean, like, I was going to maybe talk about Barry Lyndon because it's not very well-known one, and he does some really cool mise-en-scene stuff in there using, um, like, candlelight. Mm-hmm. He actually got a camera to pick up a uh, film on camera light, and he did, he did like, I'm going, we're going in the 17th, or, like, uh, 16th, 17th century. I'm going to use, like, the lighting that they had there in my camera to get the almost look like uh, of, like, art. Of like paintings in that period, there's a lot of like recreation of like these like pastel pastel like uh, scenes. You know what I mean? And like um, like like pastoral uh, scenes of like fields and you know there's like castles nearby and and it's like lords and it's cool because it's a guy who's going on a journey from like just giving up like leaving the military and just going on an adventure and just becoming a, a European scoundrel kind of <laughs> it's kind of a ridiculous movie but I really liked it it was like I don't know because like he was just trying to get these beautiful shots and they're gorgeous in the movie and he had an interesting story I thought at the time of course it was his least um, successful movie well sometimes someone's critical and of That's course, definitely my, a cult classic. My so. two favorite, though, mise-en-scene shots, I'd say, is probably I'd go to Clockwork Orange, the shot of the uh, Waloko uh, bar. Yeah. When they're in the bar shot. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this long shot of them while they're on acid or something. Like, <laughs> apparently in the future, they drink milk laced with acid. <laughs> <laughs> that movie. That so it's movie. like these long oh shots. And then uh, it's 2001 A Space Odyssey, the third act. When he's in the future of some sort and he's looking at himself in the future, he's in some kind of like, I guess the best way to describe it is like that thing in Interstellar that, what's his name, that Matthew McConaughey enters, <laughs> a, a Tesseract or whatever. It's like, I love how we brought back dimension. Interstellar more than once this season. Yeah, because he took it from that. It's the being in like uh, the fourth dimension yes. instead of the three, three dimensions. Like, I it's like being in this extra dimension and everything's kind of weird. And that's what's happening there. And then in that shot, you have this immaculate room, like a super like like medical. And like it has this art piece. It's like really weird. It's a really cool shot. It's like two favorite, like uh, beautiful uh, blocking and placing of items in that shot too. It's like the scene is that is a that's, character. That's what we're talking about today. Beautiful shots. You know yeah. how filmmakers are able to bring it all together and create magic yeah. uh, in I mean, a they way. They have to use all these elements, like yeah, blocking exactly. and like. And it's the how it's really film is really lighting. a collaborative effort because yes, the director is the you know captain of the ship, but he right. needs. He needs the lighting guy. He needs the camera guy. He needs the costume and makeup. He needs the actors to create his vision. Right. And mise-en-scene is what happens when it all comes together. And so uh, let's talk about the last director on our list here. Yes. So my my director uh, that I want to talk about is the Spanish auteur Pedro Almodovar. I first heard about him... When I was living in Toronto and working at the Toronto National Film Festival, uh, some of my friends there introduced me to him. The first movie of his I ever saw was the 1999, the 1999 film All About My Mother with Penelope Cruz. Yeah. Yeah.
Okay. Okay, go. Uh, so I first heard about Pedro Almodovar when I was living in Toronto and working at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. So my friends there introduced me to him. Uh, the first film I ever saw was the 1999 movie All About My Mother with, with Penelope Cruz. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. My child. He, he'll be fine. You want to go see him? Or take no, no, no. Um, so what I love about Pedro Almodovar is that he loves to combine several genres at once. His films will be a comedy, a melodrama, and a film noir all at the same time, while also having such vibrant, bright colors. And he also explores a lot of queer themes, you know, Right. Regarding sexuality and gender roles. Um, he had a movie about a drag queen, right? It was uh, two friends that were, one became a drag queen, one became like, uh, they haven't seen them in years. He, a lot of, movies, yes, so. a lot of his movies have characters who are, who are transgender a lot. Yes. So his films have these insanely dark, complicated plots, like... There's one with Antonio Banderas where there's a guy and he thinks that this guy raped his daughter. So he abducts him, keeps him captive in his home, performs a sex change on him so he becomes a woman, and then begins a sexual relationship with the now woman. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, actually, it's an amazing movie. I know it sounds, this is the thing. His movies sound insane. They're so over the top. They're so kitschy. They're so whatever. They shouldn't work. And yet he has such tenderness in the way he looks at his characters, such compassion, especially for the female characters. Um, He's clearly a big fan of Douglas Sirk melodramas. If anyone knows who Douglas Sirk is, he was the king of melodrama in the 1950s. Um, and also he knows, just like Wes Anderson, he finds his actors and he works with them a lot. And one of his muses is definitely uh, Penelope Cruz. And yeah, she's in so many of his movies. She's in a lot of his movies. And, you know, I have to say, I've seen a bunch of her Hollywood movies. And when she's not worrying about speaking a second language, when she's just speaking Spanish, she's a much better actress. Yeah. And well, Penelope Cruz has lots of talent. No, she does. Yeah. You know, in Hollywood movies, it's kind of just like she's the pretty, pretty Latin girl. Yeah. But in these these movies, she, every character she plays, like in Volver, for instance, where she plays a mother who, uh, you know, is trying to make ends meet. So she's working three jobs and then she comes home one day and her teenage daughter has murdered her husband because her husband tried to rape the daughter. Yeah. You know, like, again, very dark themes. And yet his movies also manage to be comedies at the same time. It's it's really, every time you see one of his movies, you just, you feel so much after. And You're now going to be officially interviewed. Well, that sounds fine to me. This is the kitchen, huh? Yeah, this is it. You really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Right there. 
Have those been brushed and blocked? Of course, Monsieur Gustave. Pack them in the hat boxes. Our guests know their deepest secrets, some of which are frankly rather unseemly, will go with us to our graves. Is there something bad here? A lot of things happen right here in this particular hotel. And not all of them was good. What about room 237? There ain't nothing in room 237. What do you want? What the devil was going on? I've never seen her like that before. She was shaking like a shitting dog. The police are here. I don't know what sort of cream they've put on you down at the morgue, but I want some. talking about uh, a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Oh, That's yes. for the mise-en-scene. And uh, yeah, that has a lot of those uh, kitchen shots. They're yes. like tight, these tight kitchen shots that he does. Um, and it's like a woman that's like kind of trapped. And like a lot of his theme is in his movies are like women who are trapped who are broken free by yep. like an incident or something. Like in Absolutely. this movie... She tries to kill her husband with poison gazpacho. Yes. And, yes. Uh, no, if you see one movie, um, if you see one movie by Pedro Almodovar, I would say Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. It's yeah. it's brilliant. It's his first real masterpiece, I'd say. But it's um, cool. It's kind of like one of those films is like, you know, you like you're gonna die tomorrow. Like, what are you gonna do with your life? You're like, but this woman, instead of dying, she's like always on the verge of like a nervous breakdown, basically. So she's going crazy and she's living her life like, like in the moment, right? And this yes. is what. It's quite an interesting movie. Very, very interesting movie, and that's why people love his movie. He's always he's the number one foreign film director in the states. Like his movies do really well in the states. Even yes. Not, might be well, you know, um, basically any big Spanish actor who's made it in Hollywood is in his movies. His movies, yeah. He like, has a bunch of movies with Javier Bardem. Yes. Javier Bardem. Wait, no, I don't think Javier Bardem. He's worked with Antonio Banderas a lot. Right, Antonio Banderas. Javier Bardem worked with Woody Allen, but we're not allowed to talk about Woody Allen anymore. Yeah, he just got released a movie apparently this week. <laughs> I know, and we are not going to talk about it. It's like apparently him and Polanski released a movie. I know, week. I know, right? Yeah. And it got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? It can't yeah. be that bad. Polanski's movie got, I saw some article saying it got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yep. Like, how, how can it be that bad? I don't know, but it, that's what I saw. It was on the internet, so it must be true, right? Maybe. <laughs> I could be totally wrong. I just watched a movie that he made from the 90s where uh, Johnny Depp plays like a book guy and he's like working for the devil or something at some point. <laughs> like looking for this like book written by the devil. It's a really cool book. It was a really interesting uh, movie. It was like, I guess, one of his uh, horror movies, which was going to be one of the themes this year, but unfortunately it didn't happen. We will absolutely. Um, so I don't know if we've talked about this before, but 
we're going to take, we're doing a shorter season this season. We're only going to be doing five episodes. So there's the next uh, week's but then episode next, is the last one. Yes. Next week's episode, which is also just going to be me and Jerry. We're going to be talking about classic Hollywood cinema. And then we're going to wrap up for the season. Uh, we're going to be working on a script, uh, which you can follow our journey along at our 41 Productions Instagram page. And That's we'll, correct. we'll and, show you uh, all about it. But then we'll after more. we work on that, we will come back for season three of the podcast and we'll have seven episodes next we're season. We're going to have seven episodes and seven. We're going to have six guests instead of uh, doing Yeah, because, you know, we do love to bring in guests, but Jerry and I also just like shooting the shit ourselves. Right. And we like to have these episodes where we just talk. Anyway, about so I guess we'll wrap up for today. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram uh, at 41 Productions. As we said, next time we'll be talking about classic Hollywood cinema. And if there's nothing else, class is dismissed. Welcome now, the professors of pop. Professors of pop.